basically in the Loyalist Defence League, that's who organised them. And they're all, you know, defending statues or whatever. So when I got there, you know, to cover the event, there was uh, no Black Lives Matters or Antifa, you know, uh, affiliated people that I could see. And not surprising, really. I mean, if they did uh, go to the square, you know, and on seeing that, they would have turned back. Welcome to episode 82 of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest is Tommy Gakinwan. Tommy is a photographer um, who usually takes pictures of musical theatre and the arts, but in the last wee while he has found himself in the middle of a couple of protests and we speak to him about that. So Tommy told us about his experiences in Hong Kong, um, but the reason that we really wanted to get him on was to tell us about his experiences in George Square. Um, Tommy was in George Square on Saturday the 13th of June and found himself being intimidated by loyalists and right-wing thugs. Um, We really get into the BLM movement, um, turning down statues and protest in general. And we have a wee go at sort of talking about what are some of the solutions that we can come up to to help combat this. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Please like, share, and any shout outs, give us a shout at Rebel City Pod on Twitter. So, and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest is Tommy Gakinwan. Tommy, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not, bad, man. not too nice bad. To meet you. Um, one of the guys that listens to the podcast sent me a message and asked me if I love in my beanie, so I decided to let my hair out the day but I've got some kind of like Terry Wogan 70s like sort of <laughs> thing going on here so apologies but I thought I would just prove that I've actually got hair because somebody <laughs> called me out in it we'll, 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 listen to, we'll listen to the audience's feedback here <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you kidding on so Tommy um, you were brought to my attention because of a post that I had seen on Facebook about your experiences last weekend at George Square uh, and we'll get into yeah. that in a wee bit what was actually hilarious was when I went to try and find you in social media, I followed you across all social media anyway, which was which was weird. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I hadn't put the, the two and two together. Um, but um, I, do you want to just sort of like give us a wee sort of introduction just so people know who you are and then we'll get into it? Uh, yeah, well, my name's Tommy Gakinwan. Uh, I'm a photographer based here in Glasgow. Nice and nice and sharp, mate. That's it. Um, I get a wee, wee bit more than that, mate. Like the photography that I'd seen on, I think that's what attracted me in, uh, initially, maybe about a year ago, whatever. I'd seen some of your stuff on Instagram, um, and sure. the, the pictures that you're taking are incredible, mate. And some of it, like, really sort of poignant yeah. and stuff right now as well. Yeah, well, I mean, most of my professional work is um, is actually in sort of theatre and classical music performance type stuff, um, but. Yeah, my Instagram is sort of a mix of that, and but, but it probably means heavier towards my personal work, which is basically just uh, documenting, you know, everything I see, basically. Mm-hmm. It must be, I mean, it's a bit of yeah, an industry photography, I think everybody that gets a camera wants to be a photographer and start a start an Instagram, so you're like, you must be doing <laughs> sure, well yeah. if you're cutting through the field, mate. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I've been doing it for nearly 15 years, yeah, 15 years now, so... Yeah, yeah, I love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. But um, to be honest, with with, with, with the state of uh, particularly the theatre industry right now, I can't get back to my own for a while. I've been thinking about whether or not I, I should be looking at other career paths. Mm-hmm. I suppose that, that 
the theatre industry and it might be a while before they get back, eh? Before we yeah, it'll be a long time, I think. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of some of the, the work that I've seen, I've obviously just kind of picked up and engaged with your stuff as a result of knowing that you were coming on. Um, yes. I was quite taken, and it kind of will hopefully kind of echo some of what we're going to talk about the nine. Um, it's some really amazing photography for the protests in Hong Kong. Um, was that something that you travelled to, or you just right place, right time? What was your well, experience of that? Yeah, it was a bit of both. So um, <coughs> I've got family in Hong Kong. Uh, that's where my dad's from, So uh, although he lives here. Um, so I, I, I go to Hong Kong maybe once a year uh, you know, to visit family and friends there. Sometimes I get some work there if I'm lucky. But uh, yeah, I was especially keen to go uh, last year when I did because of the protests um, yeah. as well. So yeah, I mean, I do, I, I, you know, I take a bit of an interest in the in in, in Hong Kong politics, and I'm you know really uh, really amazing the, the scenes there and the, the just sort of like indefatigability of the, the the protesters there. You know, they're not giving up. Although yeah. to be honest, I don't really I don't really see a happy ending for Hong Kong. I don't. Yeah, I just don't know how that's going to end well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's one of the things in the UK that's maybe suffered for some of what we might, again, touch on the nine. I, I tell you, as much as I was aware of protests in Hong Kong, you know, going back years, um, you know, the most recent stuff, I tell you, actually pretty much like go and Google it because I wasn't 100% on where things were. I know obviously this is largely centred, or the current issue is largely centred around you know, extradition to places like mainland China yeah. and uh, mainland China and stuff like that. Um, as I was reading through, like quite a lot of topics came up that you know have been echoed in the Black Lives Matters protests in recent weeks, and you know it's certainly your experience. I haven't been in George Square in the last week. Um, you know, around how the police have behaved and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. In terms of like when you were in Hong Kong, is this the first time you've experienced that type of like environment, or is it something that you kind of sort out a lot? Um, no, I wouldn't say I seek it out, and I suppose, yeah, we've never seen anything quite like Hong Kong, you know, that level of, you know, like proper riots, you know, smashing up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, banks and stuff like that, it was, uh, yeah, it was intense, um, and when I was there talking to some of the protesters, they were saying that, you know, that uh, that the, the Chinese are a bit, you know, the government there, they're, they're too savvy to, you know, stand in the army, that wouldn't, that wouldn't look good. But, yeah. but what, what some of the protesters there were telling me was, you know, in the course of a couple of weeks, uh, Hong Kong police were suddenly all looking very buff and uh, and talking Mandarin to each other. So they think that you right. know, they just sent, they sent the, the army in dressed up as Hong Kong policemen. Right. Which that wouldn't surprise me. Surprise a lot of people. I would definitely have been the surprise yeah. surprise me in the slightest anyway. Um, so if we just come up to... Last weekend, um, I think one of the, the main reasons why I was so keen to get you to come in and speak to us is I think that there's a lot of Glaswegians and we are we try and frame the podcast around activism in Glasgow and like movements that happen within the city just to highlight to people what's going on in their own doorstep because I think in the internet and information age like we lose a wee bit of sort of locality, a certain activism or just any sort of scheme, whether it be mental health or like sort of social um, and I felt that when I read the story um, on Facebook it was ridiculously powerful but it didn't sound like Glasgow to me it it felt so foreign um, so would it yeah. be alright if we if you just sort of tell the listeners like what what actually happened last weekend 
Ah, uh -huh, yep. So I went along to George Square. Um, I, knew, I knew that there was, um, you know, there had been planned protests, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, but there were also, of course, counter protests. So basically, uh, the Loyalist Defence League, that's who organised them. And they're all, uh, you know, defending statues or whatever. So when I got there, you know, to cover the event, there was uh, no Black Lives Matters or Antifa, you know, uh, affiliated people that I could see. And you know, not surprising, really. I mean, if they did uh, go to the square, you know, and on seeing that, they would have turned back uh, mm -hmm. because it was a really, really ugly atmosphere, really menacing. Yeah. And what was the experience like for you? I mean, if you've got your camera there um, and you're, you're there to sort of document, like what was the attitude towards you as what would look like a member of the press? Well, um, press, so there were a bunch of press photographers and, you know, when I was standing with them, congregating in a, a group, you know, I did feel, you know, fairly safe, of course. That said, though, uh, there were a lot more threats, I suppose, you get that as a press photographer, you know, but it was much more than I've ever experienced before, you know. Uh, uh, can, I, can I swear? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of, you know, comments like you get that fucking camera stuck up your arse, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. all the press, all the press guys were getting that. Um, but then when I was separated from them, then I, I certainly felt a lot less safe because I wasn't dressed like a you know a typical press photographer either. I probably looked like what in their heads. Uh, you know, an Antifa activist looks like. The fact that I was taking photos, but also the way I looked. Um, yeah, not just, you know, I mean, the, the, the racism, I think, was kind of just a way that, that, I think, I don't think that's why necessarily they, they were abusing me. It was just the means that they chose for those other yeah. reasons. What was the sort of police's attitude? How do you feel like Police Scotland handled the situation as you saw it? So, um, I remember at the time actually being quite impressed by how swift they were, you know, when there was a flare-up of, uh, you know, whatever, just basically these guys thinking they'd seen somebody and, so, you know, they'd run towards them. Uh, the police were very efficient, you know, at cutting them off and, you know, maintaining order to a degree. Uh, when I wrote that post, you know, I was, um, I was feeling quite frustrated, I suppose, by playing the events over in my head, realising that, you know, what happened to me, nothing had really been done. That didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, being told that I had to leave or, you know, made to feel that I was the problem. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, that's definitely part of the, the Facebook post that I read where I was like, you've pretty much been, and I was quite surprised by your initial reaction being to just kind of accept and move on because it did read as though you were essentially victim-blamed for yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was, I mean, after what happened to me, I was, I was probably leaving anyway, uh, because I, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't, didn't feel safe, uh, so I would have probably left for that reason or something else, but, yeah, it's a tough one. I will say, though, I've, I've had uh, a couple of meetings with the police this week, and they have been quite good, um, I, you know, listening to and responding to those complaints. I was surprised by, so they showed me how the investigation proceeds here. They try not to make any arrests on the day, just from the point of view of maintaining order, trying not to escalate things. Mm -hmm. But okay. they, they, they go through CCTV and all that, and they identify where instances of criminality took place, and then they pursue it then. Um, 
Which, you know, I mean, yeah, again, I, again, I was kind of impressed by the resources that they have. I mean, of course, the police, but I've been thinking about these things. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I've, I've decided not to pursue any kind of formal complaint against them in that way, uh, because they do seem very keen to, uh, yeah, crack down on this kind of thing, at least from you know, what they told me. And, uh, you know, I was told that, you know, uh, senior, you know, people very senior in the police are, are taking this very seriously and they are, you know, they were very keen to talk about, you know, what happened to me and the lessons that can be learned from that. Yeah, that's reassuring to me in a way because I think yeah. like when I read that I was, and when I read in the, the subsequent days, I mean, we're now, what, six days and there's been, what, three protests since the one that we're, or maybe two since the one that we're actually talking about last weekend. There's one during the yeah. week and one this morning. And there had been yep. zero arrests, and you're like, "Well, what the fuck is going on?" Because we're getting yeah, videos yeah. of people being hyper violent, hyper threatening, and the police just seem to be standing back. Although, yeah, like yeah. you're saying, they're segregating it and and they're policing it in the sense that they're keeping people away from each other, but they're not making yeah. arrests. And it's reassuring to me to hear that they then go back and view the footage and then maybe hold people to account. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean the, the the officer did tell me. Uh, sorry, this is in the conversation I've had this week with them. That that, that said, though, they will make arrests. You know, if it's absolutely really blatant yeah. stuff, or at least they, they should. And I suppose looking back on it, and you know, when I had to give a statement, rethink about everything that had happened. I suppose I was taken a bit for granted that that what had happened to me was kind of known and visible to the police. Um, Whereas, you know, in the kind of world, thinking about it, I can't be certain of that. And I suppose if I had, you know, you don't really think this logically in the heat at that moment, but, you know, if I had if I had said, if I had been able to then say to an officer, this just happened to me, he said that or he did that, then actually that would have been probably more helpful to them in terms of what making an arrest, I suppose. Um, yeah. but I was just kind of assuming that, you know, did you not fucking see that, you know? Uh, yeah. I think well, it, especially in the context of the second incident, as you went to your bike and were confronted by the three guys who were essentially using racial slurs against you, almost directly in the presence of a police officer. I think one of the lessons I'd certainly like to see them learn, if that's what they're trying to do, is that you know your details and statements should have been taken. If he's standing next to you watching this, or within the close proximity of these guys backing up at the at the street to try and see what kind of reaction they're going to get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They've definitely been more proactive there. So if they're learning lessons, fair enough, because that's been one of the big things for me, seeing violence on the streets and mm -hmm. not seeing people being caught into, you know, police vans and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So the notion that it's happened sort of, mm -hmm. and, you know, after the fact definitely is a reassurance. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about what you just said there as well is that we had seen claims for people that were there saying that it was Antifa, Green Brigade or Celtic supporters that actually started the the scuffle that you've obviously got caught up in, but you're saying that there was none, no evidence of that for what you had seen? Well, um, I know that, um, I mean, I, I arrived at George Square at one o'clock that day mm -hmm. uh, and I, from, what I, from what I had, from what I could tell, or not, well, from what I was told rather, um, the sort of the main uh, unrest and, and, and violence had had been before, so that might be the event you're talking about. But by the time I got there, there was, you know, I don't think there were any Antifa or uh, or Black Lives Matter uh, activists around, you know, mm -hmm. protesters. And um, 
Yeah, I don't really know the affiliations of you know the folk that that, that were there. I mean, obviously, as I say, the Loyalist Defence League organised it, but I think there were you know all kinds of groups because yeah. it was certainly enough fighting among themselves, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Which is a fairly recurring theme, to be fair. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're across from uh, what used to be the uh, Nacho Novo uh, uh, bar, but it's now just a Rangers supporter bar. And it, I mean, it always amazes me how how much fucking fighting and, and violence they can inflict upon each other, you know? It's not even yeah. selling fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I can see in, in the face of the violence that, and, you know, obvious attempts to intimidate, that's probably one of the things that as I've watched events unfold here and elsewhere in the world that I find quite worrying. There is a, an uptick in pushback against people reporting these issues. I've seen it on the, you know, the CNNs as reporters are arrested live on TV. Oh, sorry, yeah. We're hearing, you know, for yourself where, you know, you've been singled out based on essentially how you look and how you were dressed. Um, but essentially you were there, you know, reporting what was going on. Um, I mean, would it, would it be day to like combat this? Because we know who the people are in this community that are causing the trouble. The day we see that, you know, the leaders have been invited to the city council, they have tea and biscuits with, the, you know, the leaders of the city council. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. personally know if that's the way I'd like to approach I'd like to see less violence on the streets before we engage with people, you know, because otherwise we're on the risk of validating the violence that people that you have faced. You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I have any answers in that in that regard. Um, you know, whether the, the, the change in this comes from kind of, a, you know, protests protests or, or, or from the street level or whether it comes from above, as you say, from... from yeah. The council. Um. I would like to see. I mean, we've done an episode before with, with people when we spoke about the Orange Order and at length. I think on our podcast, I would personally like to see Scotland's version of the KKK not on our streets, not protected by the police while they get pissed and run riot through our city like four or five times a year. I would like to see that be the first thing that we do is we don't allow that to happen. Um, exactly, yeah. I mean, I sort of, obviously, I mean, I'm really, uh, you know, staunch defender of, of, of free speech and, you know, I think people must have the right to, to gather and to march. But the line has to be drawn when, as you say, consistently, you know, it's just a, a, a cause for, you know, total unrest. Uh, and it's, 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 it's allowed to continue still. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what was that? I mean, what was that? Uh, somebody spitting a priest or something, and all they did was just change, change the route so that, you know, chucked And even then they fought it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that that's just enabling, really, isn't it? That's, that's the, the Scottish Government, Glasgow City Council and Police Scotland just taking the, taking the easy way out. But ultimately, in my opinion, it leads to the validation of these ideas and then they want, or people like us sit back and wonder why, why do these people think like that? And why do they think this, it's okay to take to the streets and view these opinions? Surely in 2020 yeah. we're past that, when on the other side of the coin, we have government, council and police basically just sitting saying nothing about what goes on and has been going on in Scotland since day dot. Do you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, you know, is um, you know quick to condemn as she should, but uh, from what I from from last time I checked anyway, there's been silence from uh, you know the, the rest of the 
political parties, um, and it's you know it's it's probably more important that they seek out actually. Yeah. Absolutely, but there's no surprise to find out that there's an orange lodge inside Westminster, and so then we then we find out why we hear nothing on it because they don't want to upset their mates and their, their lodge yeah, members, yeah. which is an unfortunate truth. Um, do you think that there was anything actually behind? So I know that the the the, the loyalists or whatever we want to refer to them to. Do you think that they actually care about statues or do you think that they're just coming down for a punch-up and a piss-up? Oh, yeah, absolutely the latter. I mean, um, yeah, they were just itching for a fight uh, any chance they could get. You know, I do. I, yeah, I can't imagine they care much about the statues at all. Yeah, did, no. do you think they even know who the statues are in Joel's Square? Exactly, exactly. I, I don't doubt know. it, considering during the protest that sort of Tommy was, you know, assaulted and like they were there to protect statues of Peel who you know was founder of the British police while simultaneously with British police so yeah, 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 like exactly. if that's no like a visual metaphor for their confusion <laughs> like I don't really know what is I think like another sort of shocking thing to me as a Glaswegian um, and a proud, a proud Glaswegian was that you had mentioned that you felt safer in the Hong Kong protests that are Basically being against what we're told, or know what we're told, what we know is like a sort of communist China, they're the bad guys, like look at what they're doing over there, we, we, are, we are better than them, and and yet like we've got people like yourself that are saying that you felt safer in a protest against that government than what you did in Glasgow. I think, I mean, obviously, the part of that though is that, um, so in Hong Kong, they were effectively, you know, peaceful protests until the police came along, you know, the, the, the police in Hong Kong were what made it not peaceful. Uh, so okay. even though, um, you know, when, when if, if, you know, if even, you know, in Hong Kong, for example, uh, you know, when you, you've got, if you were, if you were, you saw some police brutality, you felt a bit safer because you knew that you were surrounded by, you know, a thousand other protesters that, that are on your side. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in that, you know, just in that event there, you know, that was it was completely one sided. It's just these these thugs fighting with themselves and with the police. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose, yeah, in my capacity as a sort of a bystander or a photographer, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm you know trust that the police would protect me, but not enough of them. Um, yeah, you know, mainly. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they'll? they'll- I mean, my, my, I, I don't, I've seen a lot of sort of defund the police stuff, and I think this is obviously coming more for like the American side of stuff. Um, I, I would personally like to see the money rooted into training for these types of situations instead of spending millions and billions of pounds on armoured cars and basically like the militarisation of the police, like Kevlar yeah. vests. Why yeah, absolutely. None of them are trained in like hand to hand combat. Like the police force should need a tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I mean I yeah, can't can't argue that at all. Um I mean obviously I think in America that yeah, thankfully we I mean the British police don't have any tanks. But um yeah, the the, the rooting of money to, to sort of means of either preventing or de-escalating uh, troubles is, is yeah seems seems like a no-brainer 
Yeah, man. I mean, it, it actually like shocks me. Um, I I practice martial arts, and one of the guys that I, I I study under, I don't know how you would even refer to it. He's one of Scotland's top martial artists, and he went to Police Scotland and offered to make a training program for the, the police officers, so that um, and it's it's Filipino martial arts, so it's based in. Um, sword and stick which would be perfect in these types of situations and he said that yeah, he got yeah. absolutely nowhere with the government nowhere with the police force they did not want to know any of it they said right. we are fine we trained them fine um, and that, that actually shocked me I would have thought that they would have been paying for experts in these fields to come and train their officers um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's insane to think that they're asked to go into what is a volatile situation with little to no fucking training and do you know what yeah, I mean it, yeah, yeah. it just mm-hmm. seems crazy it, I mean I, I, I'm not going to feel there's some basic shit they could be getting better but I mean the notion that as you say Tommy's sitting there talking about having you know his camera his livelihood and his person threatened and the response is you get out of here you're making this worse like there's got to be a bit of balance as well where I probably would then understand that a lot gets asked of police but at the same time there's some really basic shit that could be a hell of a lot better you know what I mean yeah I mean well there's a, I saw an interesting sort of uh, infographic of whatever it was uh, talking about the you know Britain wasn't mentioned in this but talking about the difference in, in say America uh, you know takes you know it takes a month, it's a month train you get you know and then you're in you know when you, when you start when you join the police yeah you know in countries like Finland or whatever it's three years train and you know you, 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 it's a, a because I mean it is a highly skilled and very important job there's no reason that it shouldn't you know uh, be done by the best people yeah Absolutely. I always expect them as well and I think when you talk about defunding the police this is where it gets important because people are well some people on the right are saying defund the police means abolish the police and absolutely does not it means exactly. taking the money away that's being spent ineffectively and investing it in a community so that the police are needed less because I don't think when we talk about training what they're asked I don't think I really see a job where somebody should be perfectly qualified and how to act essentially as a social worker at somebody's front door whilst yeah. also control a riot you know what I mean like those are two skill mm-hmm. sets that probably should never have went together in the first place you know what I mean so when we defund we say well let's take the social worker element of them and exactly give that to social workers or etc et so I think it's important that we frame that you know defunding question the right way exactly yeah yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of willful conflation definitely. on that I mean there was uh, some some comedian I think I was you know listening to and he was talking about how you're, you know, back in the day, your your barber, your dentist, and your doctor were all the same person. You know, so when you say defund, defund the barber, you're not saying get rid of haircuts. Just don't ask the barber to do your teeth as well. Yeah, that's I've not heard that one. That's a good one. Near far, and that's a good one. Um, like, what do you think about the the situation that we've seen in uh, Bristol, where the pulled down the statue and threw it in the river. So me and Matt were talking about this off mic um, and my initial reaction was, where are we going with this? Like, I don't, I mean, I, I get why, I get why people have done it and I understand, I, I get, but I just didn't really get why, where we were going with it. But also, I didn't know who Edward Coulson was until the next day and I stuck into Google and I found out all about the guy and I suppose yeah. that, in that sense, it kind of it was fit for purpose because 
if I think if we went and get the analytics, I'm pretty sure that that guy's never been Googled in the way that he got Googled in that Monday morning. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just to see, like, what, what, what was your feeling on the aesthetic of, uh, of them pulling down the statue and dragging it and throwing um, it in the river? Yeah, I think that, as you say, it does sort of it does raise awareness in that way. You know, I was talking to my mum about, about it, and she, you know, doesn't particularly follow politics or history, but it's just, and she was like, God, you know, I had no idea about all that. And so, as you say, that's, that's, that's doing its job in that way. Um, and, yeah, I think these... these uh, statues belong in, in you know in museums uh, with you know with with the truth about these people um, and it is important to recognise you know the symbolism of, of you know civic monuments and that kind of thing but a part of me also thinks that the statue thing is just a bit of a distraction or like it's not re- it's, it shouldn't really be what we're focusing on yeah. you know I mean uh, obvi- obviously it's all connected and as I say symbolism is important but you know, while you know, while while people are getting well, innocent people are getting shot and killed. You know, I just think it's, it's a bit more to focus on than statues. It's not yeah. the most thing. It's definitely a bit of background noise and and, and a bit of distraction in a lot of respects for me as well. Because for me, I would just be saying to folk that you know feel they are you know victims or you know their heritage has been you know, part of the oppression that these statues represent, then I would say leave it up to them. Like, I don't have, you know, any sort of ancestors who were slaves, to my knowledge, or anything like that. So I find it really quite difficult to form an opinion on a slave owner other than slavery is bad. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know that my voice is one that should be listened to when it comes to what we do with statues or street names. But at the same time, I think if there are communities out there that feel that things in the public life are offensive to them then they should absolutely have some sort of recourse to correct that you know what I mean like yeah, right yeah. now I say put a plaque on everything and make us own it you know what I mean like that would yeah. be the only thing I'd say is like let's put a plaque under these various people and say here's the actual reality of how many people they owned and traded and died under their care and whatever else mm-hmm. and they actually just put it all there front and centre so that we have to actually like confront it personally yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I went uh, last year as part of the uh, Doors Open Day Festival. Uh, I went on a tour with uh, Councillor Graham Campbell, uh, African uh, yeah, Caribbean Glasgow uh, City Councillor, and mm-hmm. he was saying that his surname is Campbell because that's the name that the man who owned his ancestors gave him. Uh, and I said, you know, you ever think about, you know, giving that name up then? He says, yeah, of course, think about it, but it's a part of it's a part of me and it's a part of my history, and I don't, you know, you don't want to you want to forget that story happens. So it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, uh, you probably come across as many people on the other side of it that have, you know, no loads of examples of people of colour who have changed their names to, you know, negate that exact issue where they want to, you know, throw off essentially, you know, a slave name, which is also yeah. fair play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but I think like my main worry way the tearing down of things is really just seeded in the the rise of the right wing that we're seeing and the way that people are being sold this sort of bullshit notion that their culture is under attack by these radical left and it's yeah and I, I hate to to say that it's the way that it looks but that's what I, I when I really sort of thought about it and dug down 
that's what I, I was like, I feel a wee bit uncomfortable with how it looks to people. Um, and also, like, we've seen in George Square, people are using football teams and all sorts of bullshit to get people on their side. Like, this is, I mean, we can't even have a global pandemic, but it's been politicised into the left versus the right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see Sorry, I when we have statue defenders, what we should do is make them form a queue at a statue, but on the side of the statue that's no face in the plaque and be like, tell me who this person is. Tell me, yeah, 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 you know, sure. like, if they can answer like four questions on the dude who the statue's about, they can go and stand in front of it if they don't need to go and try another statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I worked in a uh, Virgin Megastore back in the day and when Jackass came out and everybody was wearing the Ramones t-shirts, remember there was that whole sort of trend, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. young young guys and like teenagers would come up to the counter and I had a, a work colleague that would say to them, you need to name the guys on the t-shirt or the, name one of their album or I'm not selling you the t-shirt and the amount of people <laughs> that have to go to a different till. So it's like sort of like cultural gateway. Like you're not allowed to protect. You're not allowed to protect a statue unless you can tell me who the dude is. Nah, I've no got a clue. Right, away you go. Fuck all that. Um, why do you think that we've got this yearning for empire or greatness in the West? Like, why? Why are we seeing this? All. I mean, I genuinely thought that we were kind of past this. I suppose, man. I am just admitting to my ignorance and naivety really but I, f- I genuinely felt that we w- we'd moved past this in the sort of 2000s and but we've seen this sort of rise of like misty-eyed looking back and people sort of arguing Churchill he was a great man and then the other side's like well he, he killed a million yeah. people through farming and we're, we're, we're sort yeah. of I don't know we're in like the culture wars right now but we're, we're definitely seeing people sort of yearn for this greatness and we see it in sort of um, the language that's been used by Trump, like "Make America Great Again," "Keep America Great Again," and um, mm-hmm. like, why are we doing this? Like, what's going on? Are we, are we witnessing the death? Is that is this the sort of death croaks? Do you think, or do you genuinely think that it's coming back up as like a popular ideal? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think probably, I would hope that, as you say, it's the death croaks. It's, I mean, it's so much of it. It's, it's just got to be. I mean, the solution to that has got to be just education. And I know that there's been talk about that kind of thing, you know, a, a, a class that teaches, you know, the history of, of empire. Um, you know, truthfully, I, I just finished reading a book called The Colour of Time and, you know, it's, uh, photographs and colour eyes and goes through history from 1860 to 1960, something like that, 100 years. And I just couldn't believe the stuff I was learning, you know, like, Apart from World War Two, you know, Britain has always been the bad guy. Like the, yeah. the horrors, the stuff they do. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Well, and it's I can't understand why. If, if, if somebody knew that, you know, how can you know that and still, still get you know teary eyed and God save the Queen comes on? How can you you know wave that flag knowing just knowing all the, the murder that's been done in its name? It's, un- it's unbelievable. See, I was having a, a conversation with my mate online about some of these you know historical things and the kind of conclusion that i came to is that i think racism and this sort of imperial sort of colonial past is something that because people haven't been educated on it properly and haven't actually been taught the reality of it it allows them to look back on a level of you know quote unquote greatness with the misty eye and i think that like when the black lives matter thing sort of kicked off in, in recent weeks there's a lot of people who 
mistook their own sort of complacency on these issues. You know, so for me, for example, like we were talking about various issues and being like, you know, it's always been there. Police brutality has always been there. Racism's always been there. You know, issues, disparities in health and finance, they're all there for us to see. And we can like learn to kind of almost have a blind spot for it. And it's not been malicious, but it has happened and we need to confront it. And I think as people have went through the process, other people have taken it personally. And when, as we've been complacent racism as a society, they've taken that as them going, well, you just as a result. And you're like, that's not always the case. And notions of empire and these types of things, it's kind of similar where people have their ideas, the notion of like national self on these kind of historical lies that they've been told and now that these lies are, you know, mistruths are under attack, they feel like they're under attack as a result when in actual fact the two things are completely separate, you know what I mean, like so I don't know, I think that's the closest I can get to why, you know the history that we've been mistold kind of is impacting on us today because people are taking that realisation that we've not addressed it properly in the past as a criticism of the end of now which again was necessarily what it is yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact is, these, you know, people at George Square, you know, these uh, thugs, I mean, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, we have to live in society with them. So the best we can do is, you know, try and change their ideas. Um, yeah, and I mean, you, you just, you hope that even though it's, it's violence on our streets is, is not, isn't, you know, it's not a good thing, but in a way it's, as you say, it's always been there. And maybe it's better that it's out in the open for everyone to see and so that society can acknowledge it and then by acknowledging it, hopefully begin to change it in a, in a positive way. I agree. I would rather know. Like, I'm, I'm in that, like, definitely in that sort of school of thought is, is that I don't want it to be hidden. I think that that's what the problem has been at the point that I was making earlier about my own ignorance is that for the last sort of, if we take, let's just say pre-Trump or before that, um, we just, it was there, it just wasn't highlighted or it was kept in the sort of, like, I don't know, like the underground type thing and now it's actually like a more popular idea they're starting to come out and I would absolutely rather that we spoke about these things like you were saying earlier on, like we need free speech, we, we absolutely need free speech so that we can argue back against ideas and I suppose that's another worrying trait that, w- that we've seen um, like the internet age is that people just want to shut it down if they don't like it just shut it oh, down yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, th- I think that some of the problems that we're seeing right now is just a consequence of like the sort of the way that we've been going as a society for like the last sort of 20-25 years in that regard um, I think that's prevalent even in you know how these violent out have occurred in Glasgow in the last week because the people who have perpetrated that are people we have tolerated and have been violent multiple times already in the last year. So I don't think racism is necessarily the only thing we've got a blind spot on. I think it's been convenient for lawyers to kind of almost look the other way as people like the Orange Order of March, you know, through our streets spreading, you know, hate and singing songs about being up to, you know, their knees and people's blood and whatnot. I think, you know, it has to go beyond racism because as much as these guys, at least on the surface, appear to be racist, like, you know, 
there is a whole other, you know, again, imperialistic sort of UK national thing going on that we've allowed on our streets for, you know, all my entire life. So I think we need to take that knowledge and that understanding and now start applying it across the board. One of the ways I think that it's easy to, what makes it easy to sort of forget or to, to turn a blind eye to the realities of 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 these things is because you get you get big symbols of progress like you know there you go Barack Obama elected president and then so people go oh well racism's over then you know that's that's seen quite a lot of people on Facebook and across social media is using the old like I don't see colour and I don't see race and Mm -hmm. you know that would be okay if there was any examples of institutionalised racism. I think that what Matt was saying earlier on was something that I was trying to stress to somebody, is that nobody's pointing the finger at you. It, this is wider, this is bigger. It's about the institutions that, that we live under. Um, if you look at any st- statistics, it backs up the fact that we are, as a society, racist. And this is the type of racism that we're trying to get out. Like, I hate... Yeah, I, I think that this is this is the way that it's been sold to people is, is that it's a personal attack so that we end up fighting against each other and we end up... That's right. People that we, we I went to school with are standing in George Square on the opposite side for me. Um, and I grew up in the exact same place and the exact same way that, that they did in general was like a sort of broad stroke. Um, mm-hmm. But I genuinely think that we've got, we've got more in common than what... You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're actually trying to fight against the same power structures. It's just that we don't realise it quite and we're too busy sort of butting heads against each other. Exactly. Like yeah, what's your, Tommy, what's your experience being sort of post kind of coming out with you, you know, what happened to you last week? Because obviously you, we've talked a number of times about your Facebook post that, you know, had a lot of comments, a lot of, you know, attracted a lot of attention. Have you been a continuance of some of the abuse that you received or you found um, that actually you know there's people pushing back with you no I've been quite it's been it's been great I just spent, well, it's been a mental week so I've spent the whole week talking about this or or talking to police about it or responding to messages that I've received and that kind of thing so um, yeah it's mostly been positive you know I was really moved by all this concern and support supportive messages I received uh, what I didn't do and I've no real intention of doing is, is looking at the comments of that on that post, you know. Okay. <laughs> Some of the messages I, I, I did receive from friends or whatever said, oh, you just ignore all that. And I thought, you know what, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm not going to sit and read through a post of, you know, people calling me a liar or bad mouthing me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly your tactic anyway, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's in relation to haircuts, Matt, <clears throat> of course, then we, we read the comments. Haircuts, I know, we, re- we respond to haircuts, but I, nothing else. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, would, I mean, there, there has been a lot of sort of chat, and this has been something that's really interested me in the past couple of weeks. And I think me and Matt haven't been on and did a podcast in a couple of weeks just because of lockdown and trying to get guests in. It's difficult. And obviously, like this isn't the most ideal way to have a conversation with somebody is over, yeah, like you've yeah. never met them before, and then you get them into a Zoom call. But um, there has been an, a lot of distraction when it comes to social distancing. Um, I think that in the weeks before the BLM protest um, and the protest that we've seen subsequently in George Square, or whether it's statue defending or, or um, refugee 
rights protests. We had a huge outcry about Dominic Cummings breaking social distancing rules. And I think that one of the sort of things that struck me is that a lot of people that were sort of pointing the finger and screaming that about like breaking social distancing rules were then saying that it's that 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 the BLM protest has got like a right to go there and, and do the same sort of thing. Now, to me, I agree with that. I completely and utterly agree with that. I think that there are things that are bigger than um, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. But like, how do you fight against that sort of like accusation of hypocrisy um, when we, we are encouraged to stay away from each other constantly, but then we need to sort of come out with a message that this is bigger than the distancing rules and that we, we do need to go and protest this right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's hard to avoid that, you know, that charge of hypocrisy because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's complex and, uh, you know, people prefer just a simple argument. Uh, so, yeah, if you're breaking social distancing, I don't know, just you know, just to go for a drive because you feel like it. I mean, that's that's not a good reason. Uh, it's just just like anything, you have to make a calculation. Is that you know, you know, the risk you're taking. Is this worth it? Um, and I, I, I guess in the case of the Black Lives Matter uh, protest, you know, people have said, yeah, it's, it's worth this risk. This is this is more important. Yeah, yeah. and it'll <clears throat> be the first time that you know people have essentially take risks with their lives to protest in favour of black, you know, rights and equality. Exactly, um, yeah. So it's something that probably does kind of fit, you know, with the, with the past in that respect. Like, I found in terms of social distancing, some of the day for the jobs were quite worrying. Um, again, we're probably going to just sort of briefly touch on the police approach because it is difficult when there's no public recognition of their tactics. You've always explained at the start of the show that although there was no public thing happening, there was lots happening behind the scenes, which again, we, you know, we were both reassured by. Today, I don't know if you've seen any of the images of the, the sort of Black Lives Matter protest that did go ahead in George Square. Um, some of the scenes were extremely encouraging and I think, you know, I kept my distance because I've got vulnerable people on the house, but like when we, you know, solidarity with BLM a couple of weeks ago, I just want to say like well played to everybody in George Square today because they represent the Glasgow that I want to be part of and a Glasgow that I'm proud of. But on the other side of it, we've seen peaceful protesters killed and the disregard for social distancing that went into place today seemed to be potentially a really dangerous thing, especially when protesters go out their way to actually maintain two metres. So, I mean, we've seen... Ah, so are you saying... Was, was, was there kettling today? So the, the police went in and kettled George Square at the protest, so... Um, I mean, again, there's true. conflicting stories about why, so I, I, I probably know why I go into what, you know, accusations have been flung about just now because I don't actually know the true story, but the images themselves were pretty, pretty stark that, you know, right-wing alt-right, fascists, whatever we want to call them, were given the run of George twice this week, but people show up into George Square and take a knee, they're, they're then kettled and, you know, which in itself is a really unpleasant experience for people who have actually went through it, um, yeah. it's about, you know it feels very much like you're being antagonised it feels very much like your space has been invaded, it's no pleasant in that circumstance, with COVID and questions of social distancing in the mix as well, I'd be really keen 
to probably hear from the police as to what they're thinking behind that was because that seems absolute yeah, absolutely wild. Have you seen in terms of the protests are, are, are social distancing being largely sort of honoured? I think uh, I mean yeah, it's uh, you don't want to draw in broad strokes, but I mean this is my experience, you know, black Black Lives Matters uh, protest. Uh, I think that those protesters have been socially distancing where possible, just you know, it's a sensible thing to do. Uh, mm-hmm. among you know, among the fascists, the, the loyalists, whatever in George Square. No, <laughs> I mean they couldn't give yeah. a shit. Fair enough. I mean, you've got to imagine that they're probably not doing it anyway, day to day. Like, yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Just not giving a fuck. I mean, like we were talking earlier on, everything's been politicised, and unfortunately for these guys, even the wearing a mask seems to be a, a, a political battering ram. Um, I would. I was yeah. on my bike on Wednesday and went down Buchanan Street, I stay in town, I went down Buchanan Street, the mask on, and somebody shouted, take your mask off, you fiend bastard, and you're like, okay, so... Wow, wow. And and this, this is like, a fine example, for me, about, like something that you were talking about, at the sort of top, when we were first talking, that people just assumed, why your motivation and why you were there last weekend based on a couple of things but based on mainly the way that you look and that they they assume that that's what it is is that they just make assumptions um but i thought <laughs> i did have a laugh I had, I had a laugh to myself when when the guy shouted it but then i did think about it and thinking about like how mental that is that that guy seen me on a bike with a mask on and just went right well there's a finion and I'm going to show. I'm going to show. Might have been uh, there's, there's a stranger in the street that I can verbally abuse for absolutely no reason. <laughs> yeah. I think it shows what you're up against. I think it means that things like education and changing people's minds on that side of things is extremely difficult because when you're faced with somebody who can take a look at a journalist or a photographer or even just a guy in the street, you know, and decide that I'm going to launch try either physical or verbal abuse because that is my right then I, 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 I'm, yeah how do we change minds how do we educate people that don't really want it you mm-hmm. know what I mean what was, what was different about that uh, protest that was at last week as well is that um, generally when you you know when you're press covering a protest normally the protesters uh, you know want to be photographed or you know I mean it's that's part of Getting a message out, raising awareness. You know, yep. I've never, never really been at a, a, a protest before where they did definitely didn't want to be photographed. Which makes you wonder, you know, do they have some sense of shame? Then, do they know that what they're doing is wrong, or do they? Or do, I mean, maybe there's some, you know, sort of one, one more nefarious reasons why they don't want don't want their pictures taken. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it would be shame rather than they know why they're there, they know what they're going to be doing, yeah. and they don't want to be documented being an arsehole yeah. or going there looking yeah. for a fight because um, that's the accusations that their bosses getting emails <laughs> I suppose yeah, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> somebody taking a photograph and um, I just it, it really does bewilder me um, and again there's guys on the other side there I mean, me and Matt grew up in the East End and there are guys there and, and back in 2014 the, the morning after the independence vote I was looking at images two or three guys that were right at the front with our Union Jacks that, that I went to school with that I hung about with when I was younger and I just think like right. where, where did it go wrong for you mate that, that, yeah. that, that you've went and get pissed up in a pub on Duke Street and then decided to walk along and, and pick on people that are there 
peacefully and do you know what I mean it's just it really does like that that was like a life-changing moment for me um when I seen that was shocked to my core um and yeah I think that I, I, I can't get my head around it I, I really can't I mean they they really do believe that the British culture the European American Western culture is under attack by the, the communist, socialist, radical left, and that we must fight, and you're like, fight for what? Like, what do you have that's worth fighting for, mate? Like, I'm sorry to say that we are we are working class or we're working on middle class, whatever. But we've got again what we were saying earlier on. We've got more in common, and we should be fighting for people's rights. This is what why we're here. We're not here to take your culture away. We're not here to steal anything from you. We actually want to give more to people like you and we are the same. So why can we not get on the same side? Um, is that, is the, is the old joke about the, is that, is that a, a banker, an immigrant and a Daily Mail reader and they're sat around a plate of 12 biscuits. The banker takes 11 biscuits and then says to the Daily Mail reader, watch him, he wants your biscuit. And that's where we live. <laughs> and that, that, is, that is exactly where we live. And it's just, it's hard to convince people that somehow or another of get, I mean, to me, it's like they've been radicalized. It really is. I mean, the, the, they've been radicalized into believing that the queen cares, that, that what goes on in their life. Um, yeah. that somehow they're, they're affiliated to this elite that exists that genuinely would not wipe the shit, do you know what I mean? Like would, would yeah, trample yeah, over them, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And this is this is what we're dealing with, but how we actually deal with it, I, I'm kind of like with you guys where I don't know, I mean, other than educating yeah. people. I think it's probably the biggest fallacy of white supremacy is that when you look at the people who actually believe in it, you think to yourself, you you, you are the you are the supreme entity. You are the, the ideal incarnation of humanity. Like mm, yeah. maybe not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, as as we start to wrap up, I mean, you, you've given us an hour of your time. We're, we're just approaching now. And thanks very much, man. What are the types of we've we spoke a lot just when we first went into lockdown? And I don't want to let this go. I really do, don't don't want to let this these ideas go. But what are the sort of positive changes that you would like to see? post-COVID and post-pandemic. Um, me and Matt have spoke about loads of different stuff, like UBI, um, which is becoming a more popular idea because it really does suit the time that we live in. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot of stuff like, I mean, just the fact that you can't buy a bike, I think is probably like a good thing. There's a lot more sort of health and fitness. People are becoming more aware of how important yeah, yeah, it is, absolutely. like their mental health. But what are the types of things that you would like to see sort of like taking from this situation into whatever it is that we go back to? Um, yeah, I mean, on a sort of more personal level rather than, well, it's personal, so it's kind of the same thing, I suppose. Uh, I have really enjoyed lockdown for discovering you know what it is a what it is a you know I actually need out of life rather than just what I want. You mm-hmm. know, and I've discovered so much. You know, I think about all this sort of shit I was running around doing. Like, why was I doing that? You know, I don't need that at all. And it's the uh, you know a lot of it's you know for example social like FOMO that's that's gone. You know, I don't think oh what's everybody else up to because you know we're up to in the house same as you. And and I hope to I take some of that peace of mind out and just to be able to. 
feel that kind of uh, content even when things do do start again. What would be nice is is to some of the takeaways like on a more social scale would be, you know, maybe a lot of uh, I'm sure a lot of people who work in offices or, co- or companies, you know, based on are now saying, well, would, would it be, you know, things have things have the world hasn't ended. You know, why why do we need to come into work anyway? Why you know, well, we we can work from home. Um, and as you say, stuff like universal basic income, stuff like a four-day working week. You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope. I hope. I mean, you know, big up people. Like this it is a great opportunity to sort of examine the sort of things we, the norms that we kind of take for granted, maybe challenge them as well. Absolutely. Like for me, I mean, I was spending about nearly two hundred quid a month in Starbucks. That, right, yeah. <laughs> that I instantly was just like, why the fuck am I doing that? And it is like almost like this perpetual thing in your life where you, you add wee bits in and it becomes a routine, but then you don't really evaluate its worth to you and yeah. the opposite, like how what negative impact. Um, I think just in general, people became very, like hyper aware of well-being and I would like to see more... Yeah well-being being spoke about as far as like in the economy and how they structure things i would love to see like these types of things but then we have motorway jam-packed when mcdonald's opens its doors with people flocking back to get a to get a big mac so i don't know i think that one of the one of the likeliest uh you know lasting positives will be as you say people cycling um which is really great because the studies show that if, if you you know, you know. Sorry, the studies actually show that you know, if you if you build cycle lanes so people use them, uh, we're doing it the other way around here. Whereas you know, now that people are cycling, hopefully, to improve uh, the usability of the city for cyclists. Glasgow's not that great for cyclists. No, it definitely is not. And I've just discovered that because the bike that I've bought is the first bike that I've owned since I was seventeen. So. And then you, you do realise that it's a shit show. I mean, it's like a fucking free-for-all when you're trying to let cycle, cycle about town. And town's supposed to be the yeah. best. Well, I mean, I tried to do the next bike thing last week, and there is absolutely... Well, I think there's one next bike station in the entire east end of Glasgow, and it's at the Royal Infirmary, which is practical. So I'd need to walk for like four miles to get to the bike <laughs> in the first place. Um, so I think if we're going to talk about cycling, they definitely need to look at the east end infrastructure for that, you know what I mean? Because... It was a lovely day, and I said, I'll get myself a wee bike. I think I was actually coming to see you, and I, you know, not a single bike. I'd have to walk to yours anyway to get one. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> um, I think in terms of what I'd like to see change, particularly in the context of the last couple of weeks, is for us to actually be able to confront ideas of, you know, race and what history and colonialism and all these things that we've discussed without the need for the violence that you faced, because, you know, you don't really ever win an argument with violence. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I'd like us to see what's went on in the last year in terms of marches and disordering and actually really, you know, crack down on the people that are causing the trouble and allow other people's right to free expression, free speech and, and to gather and protest to not be interrupted by thugs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hope, you know, your story is something that takes us on the path to that. Uh, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Um yeah, I'm just glad to, to, to be able to use the experience in that way because I'm, I'm absolutely fine, to be honest. You know, people have been, been very nice people reaching out to check, check on me in that way. But yeah, I'm just glad to use it to raise sort of awareness of, you know, bigger issues. Absolutely, mate. Do you want to just give yourself a wee um, 
what would we call it? A wee punt. Like, where can people find your photography? Um, like, I just give your socials a wee bit of a promote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the main main social I use, the main place I share my work is Instagram. That's the Instagram is TGKWAN. Okay, mate. Perfect. Thanks very much for giving us an hour of your time. I'm sure that you're uh, probably very much in demand. And I know, that you, you. I know that you were feeling well um, overnight. So oh, yeah, I'm good now. Thanks very much for yeah, that, Tommy. Really Take care of yourself, thanks, buddy. Yes. Cheers, mate. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye bye. Shuffle the feet 
sky fire, can't you see? You can try, but you won't break me. 